Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games with kids. A great way to spend time with your family, now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. Christmas without you 
Christmas Lonely and cold It'll be cold, so cold Without you to hold This Christmas So that was Lonely This Christmas performed by uh, Scottish singer-songwriter Katie Tunstall from her Christmas album uh, Have a Very Katie Christmas. The original version of that song is by the glam rock band Mud from 1975. And it's about as dorky a song as you could ask for. Um... In terms of vocals, it sounds like a mediocre Elvis impersonation. <clears throat> so much so that um, if you go on YouTube and search for the song Lonely This Christmas, you will find one video which actually attributes the song to Elvis. Um, the, uh, the, the YouTube account in question is called Elvis Fanny, and I, I really hope that's not a British person, because in the UK, Fanny means vagina. Uh, comments for that video are disabled, and I assume that's because about a million people told the, uh, the poster that uh, they were com- <laughs> completely wrong about who actually wrote and performed the song. Um, musically, it sounds like a kind of mediocre version of, you know, late fifties, early sixties rock. I have no idea whether this, uh, this was all intended as some kind of homage to, uh, to that era of rock music or whether it was just pure laziness. Um, For me, the effect of the original recording is that I don't take the song itself very seriously as a song about loneliness and, um, you know, the loss of your significant other. Because it's it's about somebody who it's Christmas time again, and it makes them think about how their partner, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever... uh, is no longer in their life. And I would never in a million years have guessed that somebody could actually wrench the kind of, uh, of deep sadness that uh, Katie Tunstall did with her version. It's like it's a completely different song. And it was the simplest choice, really. Just, you know, just her guitar and a lot of reverb. And <laughs> because of the reverb, she sounds like she's in a room all by herself the 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 clear tone that she uses you know sounds cold it, it just she she really nailed it and really transformed it into uh what is now one of my favorite of the uh, the sad christmas songs and yeah from hearing the original version i never would have expected that somebody could uh could transform that piece of corny corny music into something so uh powerful and beautiful Hi Robert, it's Colin's Bike Pit. Wow man, now you're talking. Um, the Waitresses. Wow, that is such a cool tune. 
it's totally in my wheelhouse. I love those um, American ladies with their vocals, your Cindy Lauper's, and um, not averse to a bit of the bangles as well. So bring it on, bring it on, brother. Thanks for that, Colin. Yeah, I hear you uh, about all about all those '80s bands. Um, I'm also uh, I'm also rather fond of the Go Go's, um, or at least their debut album. Um, when I when I run kids on bikes, I uh, like I have a, a, a massive playlist of uh, of that sort of music, that kind of '80s music, and um, I'll like. I'll throw one on to kind of set a scene or something like that. It's tricky to do though, because um, I, I really never know what the next scene is going to be. Cause it depends on what the kids do. Um, and, and you don't want to halt the game to be scrolling through your playlist for the right song and stuff like that. So <clears throat> I kind of do, do it if it's convenient, but definitely the first session, I made really good use of the, the playlist and kind of uh, um set each scene with a with an appropriate song you know just play a little snippet of it because i don't really want the music to uh override the game it was just to kind of um to set the tone for it so that it can kind of vicariously live in the 80s through me like this is what it was like and this is what the music you would have heard on the radio Hey DM Dad, it's Eric Salswell again. I am loving your topics for the month of December. These are all things that I think about and want to talk about on my own podcast, which I haven't gotten to in about a month. Anyway, moving on. So knowledge checks. Yeah, man, this is a topic area that kind of annoys me. Um, Right now, one of our buddies is running a Pathfinder game. We've played it in a couple times. And one of the things he's asked for that's kind of, you know, we're joked about is he's like, give me a knowledge check. And the reference was that uh, some sort of singer or entertainer was coming into the village and he said, make a knowledge check. And uh, we didn't make it. So we didn't know who they were and they ended up being a famous singer. And I get it. If you want us to make a knowledge check to determine some obscure punk rock band that no one's ever heard of, all right, cool, then give me a knowledge check. But it ends up the singer's like Beyonce. Who doesn't know who Beyonce is? Okay, I have a lot of thoughts. Moving on to part two of my call-in. Alright, here's part two. So there is a place in role-playing games for knowledge checks, in my opinion. And it's more so in the modern slash sci-fi games. So I'm running a Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells game by Jogo Noguera. And in that game, there are spaceships and uh, warp jumps and laser pistols and all different kinds of things. And there's an archetype in the game called the Smart Archetype. And they can modify the ship, modify weapons, and etc. And those items require knowledge checks to be successful because let's face it most people in your group are not physicists that specialize in lasers or plasma technology so a player would not realistically have the skill to describe how they would modify the plasma rifle and therefore knowledge check is needed but that's more of like their version of attacking like a warrior or something anyway man those are my thoughts another awesome episode keep it going for december all right. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that, Eric. Um, yeah, it sounds like we're pretty much on the same page as far as as knowledge checks. And it's it's funny. Um, I've I mean I've never run a sci-fi game, um, and I've wanted to for a long time. And I had like the same thought that like in a sci-fi game, uh, something like a knowledge check would actually it, it's it's almost like the attack roll or something. Like you said, it's like it's the thing that 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 character type does because. 
a sci-fi world is underpinned by um by technology in the way that like a fantasy world is underpinned by magic and of course in a fantasy game you know wizards just cast spells because hey it's magic but that's not how we interact with technology and if you think about like how many episodes of star trek where the main conflict revolves around um can they figure out what the solution to this problem is and then having figured out what they should do do they actually have the expertise to do it you know that's you know that's that's that sounds like a knowledge check or some kind of some kind of skill check to me or even think about empire strikes back you know the the entire film the millennium falcon doesn't go into light speed until the very end when finally r2d2 reattaches it and and fixing the millennium falcon's uh a hyperdrive or the inability to do so is a major plot point in that it it, it really it really uh drives the action of that film and and uh, and results in the situation that Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca get into. So uh, so yeah, it's it's all just you know there's a there's a way to do it and and uh, you just need to to be careful, I guess you know when you're when you're planning your skill checks and stuff, and not just have them kind of arbitrary. Um, one person who famously, I think, kind of spams the the skill checks um is chris perkins um i love chris perkins adventuring adventure design i'm like slowly collecting all the old uh issues of dungeon magazine that he contributed to back before he was ever a wizards of the coast employee and um there's a lot about his his uh game mastering style that i really like but you know every time somebody asks a question Give me a this check. Give me a that. Give me an insight check. It's like you can't you can't ask if a, an NPC you know very well is acting funny without him making you roll an insight check. And it's like I know this guy. I'm not trying to read his mind. I'm not saying give me his innermost thoughts. I'm just saying is he shifty? Is he too talkative? Is he not talkative enough? Is he staring at the floor? You know, these are things that a person would notice. You know. So before I move on to the topic for today, which to uh, reiterate is not following the uh, official prompts of D&D December, because I think this week is talking about races instead of classes. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to talk about that. So um, but before I talk about what I what, what we are, before I get onto the subject of of this uh, this podcast, I want to give a, a couple of shout outs. Um, one is uh, Bloat Games is launching a Kickstarter for the next in their uh, survive this um, series of books and it's it's another one in the Dark Places and Demogorgon series. Um, I, I just reviewed some of the material for that recently. So it's going to be, this is going to be the uh, Cryptids book. So, uh, you know, in case you're not aware, Cryptids are um, undiscovered animals that may or may not exist and have a legendary status. The classic Cryptid is Bigfoot. Um, you know, some people don't believe in Bigfoot. Um, others do and think that Bigfoot and any other, any number of other 
creatures are out there and just haven't been discovered by science. So this would be um, a source book for cryptids. The uh, the cover, um, at least the the work in progress cover um, that they're showing on the uh, the link for the Kickstarter. Uh, shows a creature which, if you're familiar with the uh, Dark Places and Demogorgons game and setting as I am, you instantly recognize as the Popelik monster. Um, so that will probably be one of them. Um, the the source material and and the 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 Jefferson uh, Town source book make references to Bigfoot. Um, so I mean, it, I guess we'll see whether Bigfoot is going to be one of them, or whether people have been seeing the Popelik monster and thought it was Bigfoot, or whether there's yet another creature that's being mistaken for Bigfoot. But based on the quality of the the other source books that that I have, the Vampire, Werewolf, Ghost Hunter, and UFO Hunter source books, um, I I would encourage you to uh, back this and uh, and pick it up. Um, Obviously, like, you know, you'll need the core rules and stuff as well. But if, uh, yeah, if, if the other source books are anything to go by, this will be some quality material with some, uh, some good gaming fun in it. So just to make you aware of that and think about, um, think about backing that Kickstarter and, uh, JB publishing has been hard at work with their stock art. Um, I think there's now seven of them, um, all around the themes of uh, tentacles and and real Lovecraftian cosmic horror going around them. Some of them have some interesting, like some humor, like the tentacle dancer, which is like a pole dancer, but her legs are tentacles. Um, and the the birth ritual one, while pretty graphic, is also there's there's a maybe a kind of a wry humor in that, but. Uh, you know, nothing can creep you out like tentacles where they shouldn't be or mouths where they shouldn't be. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's, there's now seven of these and he's, uh, uh, Josh Beckelheimer's just put up a, uh, a storefront on RB RPG stock art and he's actually uh selling the whole bundle so they on on drive through RPG they're two dollars each um and the the bundle on RPG stock art is twelve dollars so you're effectively getting one free um again they're 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 very evocative and I mean this is this like I said this is real um yeah lovecraftian cosmic horror stuff um although uh i think i'll probably do it more as mutations like i mentioned um i have that area which is kind of around the barrier peaks crashed spaceship where there's going to be a lot of radiation so i'm probably going to put a lot of these weird ass things around there because because that's what i want i want a lot of i want a lot of stuff that you've never seen before and you look at it and you're like, that, that ain't right, you know. And, uh, yeah, again, they're, they're pictures. They don't have stats or names going along. Well, they, they do have names, but they, they don't have stats going along with them. So you can stat them out yourself. Um, one of uh, Josh Beckelheimer's uh, one-page adventures um, that I really like. The uh, Forsaken Tree of the Wretched. Apparently the inspiration for that um, 
adventure was a drawing by Jeremy Hart. Um, just a, a really evocative drawing of a creepy, evil druid-looking guy with like a mounted skele- like skeletal stag head. Is that his head? Is it a mask? You don't know. And so he just, you know, looked at that and said, ah, I wonder who that guy is and what he does. And then, you know, made up a whole adventure to go around it. So, you know, you could do that with these, uh, with these things, with this stock art. Just take a look at that and say, God, where did that come from? And then, you know, I mean, one of the things, because there's a, a few of these that have a vaguely humanoid shape and then there's tentacles where they shouldn't be, um, you know, maybe there's something causing people to change, you know, you could have a whole adventure about some kind of thing that that's basically, well, like I said, mutating people, you know, so that they started off fairly normal and now they're mutating. Um, and they have, they'll have horrifying powers while they're under, once they're mutated, but the real the real goal of the adventure would be to find out what's causing that and shut that down so today's topic um i got the idea from this by listening to another podcast uh the mega dungeon podcast um which is uh has only recently started up um their their most recent episode um it was an interview with Che Webster, who is um, he runs a blog. He run, he's a a school teacher, and he runs a D and D group for his uh, students. And he's running them through the caverns of Thracia, which um, is the mega dungeon that the mega dungeon podcast is currently talking about. So um, it was a good interview, and I, it's a great. It's a great podcast in general, so I highly recommend you go and check that out if you're not already listening to it. Um, but it's a, it's a great interview, and uh, um, towards the end, um, he asked Che um, if he had advice for running D&D for kids. And I'm always interested to hear other people's advice for running D&D for kids, um, since that's kind of what I do as well. And uh, one of the things he, he said, don't treat them like kids. And, uh, and I couldn't agree more. Um, people, people have asked me before, what, what do I do differently when I'm running? Um, uh, and we'll just, we'll limit it to D and D, um, just for the sake of simplicity. But what do I do differently when I'm running D and D for kids than I would do for, um, adults? And the answer is nothing. I don't, I don't modify the rules or dumb them down. And I don't modify the content. I mean, within reason. I'm not going to run Lamentations of the Flame Princess uh, for my nine-year-old daughter. We're not going to play Vaginas Are Magic. You know, that that just goes without saying. But I don't take out the scary monsters. You know, we're running Curse of Strahd um, for the for the full group that includes uh, my daughter's cousins as well. And there are scary moments, and there are moments that have scared them, uh, that have scared the kids. Um, in particular, they met the night hag, and I did a scary voice for the night hag, and eventually um, one of the kids asked me not to do the voice anymore because it was getting a little bit too real. 
but you know the the default is that we go there you know and uh, and one of the things you have to remember about fear right and this goes for me it goes all the way back uh to to ancient greek um drama and the idea of catharsis because ancient greek theater is mainly known for tragedy although um there's some notable Greek comedy as well. And the whole point of Greek tragedy was catharsis, which is exercising negative emotions in a safe and controlled way. You know, if you experience an actual tragic circumstance in your life, um, you may express those emotions in a way that turns out to be unhelpful. Um, but if you sit and experience it vicariously uh, as theater, then you can get those emotions out, but in a controlled and ultimately safe environment. And that underpins um, watching horror films, going on roller coasters, strapping a stretchy cord to your ankles and jumping off a bridge jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and hoping that uh, what basically amounts to a tarpaulin will save your life. You know, so experiencing danger in the context of a role-playing game is a good way to pantomime danger and fear and difficult moral choices in a controlled and ultimately safe environment. Because if there's ever a time where it's getting a bit too intense, you can back off in real time. Whereas when you're having an actual experience, you can't just decide, now this is getting too sad. Can I, can we stop this now? You know, or, you know, um, if you're having an actual terrifying experience in real life, you can't just put the brakes on it. So I think it is important not to dumb the game down. And that's in terms of the content. Um, in terms of the mechanics, I also don't dumb them down. Um, I started running 5th edition for my daughter when she was 6. 5th edition was still pretty new. It was only about a year old or so. It was the edition I wanted to play, and I didn't want to play a dumbed down or modified version of it. So I didn't dumb it down or modify it. Instead, I found a way to explain it to her. And I, I kind of used a similar method if I'm introducing any new player to the game. For instance... You know, experienced gamers take the names of the uh, the core classes uh, for granted. But outside of gamerdom, who the hell knows what a cleric is? I mean, cleric is a word that has an, a non-gamer meaning, but it's it's fairly obscure, and uh, a lot of people would struggle to to grasp it. So. When I asked my daughter what character she wanted to play, I said, do you want to fight with swords or do you want to do magic? And she said, I want to do magic. And I said, do you want to do the kind of bang, bang, fire type magic? Or do you want to do the kind of magic that heals and helps people? And she said, I want to do the kind of magic that heals and helps people. So we rolled up a cleric. And, you know, we, we went through all the character decisions you know, and I would read out things to her and then I would paraphrase it. And we filled out her character sheet together. And for for a long time, 
she didn't really look at her character sheet a lot, apart from tracking her hit points. Um, she would tell me what she wanted to do. I would tell her to roll her 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 d20, and it's always a d20 in fifth edition. That's the the one really nice thing about it is a, 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 it's a unified mechanic. And then I would just tell her what to add because I kind of memorized what her bonuses were. But gradually, you know, every, every time there was an opportunity, I would kind of explain to her which bonuses applied to which situations. And, you know, over time, she got to be able to handle it herself. And now she knows which bonuses to add. Um, when, when she hit fourth level, um, we chose a feat because I was into feats back then. I now, <laughs> I now would house rule feats out. I mean, they're an optional rule in 5e anyway, so there's no reason to use them. And I, I think I would now just, just forget about it. It's like, forget, just no, no feats. But at the time I was into it. So we, we chose feats together. And I, again, we went through the list and I kind of paraphrased what each feat did. And she ended up choosing the alert feat. And my initial impression was, oh, well, she probably she probably got bored and stopped listening and so just went for the first one on the list, which was the only one that she actually paid attention to. But later on, I came to, to doubt that because she used the feat really effectively. She always remembered her initiative bonus and she always remembered that she couldn't be surprised. So I think actually it was a coincidence that it was the first feat on the list and that she just thought that would be the most useful you know you gotta think by fourth by fourth level she'd already been in a lot of combats she probably saw the value of going first and of never never have never having an enemy surprise you and never having that um not being able to act for the first round of combat because you're surprised and the other thing that people ask and this came up in the uh the interview as well because um he divided his groups he has more than one group at his school but they're divided in terms of how much experience they have playing rpgs and that doesn't necessarily that doesn't have a precise correlation to age so there is some mixture of ages you know, if you have an 11-year-old who's been playing for a while and is an experienced and competent gamer, um, he or she might be in there with the uh, the older kids, whereas an older kid who hasn't played before will be in with you know the the newer gamers. And uh, and people ask me too, like, is it better to mix? The, is it better to keep the age groups segregated or mix them up? Um, and <clears throat> I don't think you want to mix them up at all, or no, I don't think you want to segregate them at all. Basically, what I find is that if you have the same expectations of the younger players as you do of the older players, the younger players will rise to the occasion. Whereas if you try to 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 cast the game at the younger players then the older players would feel like they're like it was being dumbed down and nobody wants a dumbed down experience not even the younger players and keep in mind like let's say you had a a, a child at a at a convention game and everybody else is more or less an adult right you might think that that child has a handicap in that situation but keep in mind you know there's four or five adult players that that kid is going to watch and mimic their behavior. You know, th th there's four or five people modeling 
best practice. And kids are really receptive to things like that, to learning by example, which, you know, can work against you when you have bad habits in your everyday life and your kids pick them up、mm-hmm. from you. But yeah, my, you know,、uh, the, the Geek and Sundry YouTube channel was doing,、um, they probably still do like a, a series of GM tips. And they, they did an episode about playing with kids. And they pointed out that you always need to accommodate the youngest person.、Um, and I think, I, I, th- I think that's true only for the extreme examples.、Um, again, like, you know, if, if a kid shows up to your game, you're not running Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So that's out the window.、Um, or if there's, ever, if there's any extreme, like, violence or sexual content.、Um, Yeah, you can't run that for kids. I tend not to run that anyway. You know, we don't have a lot of like, I don't know, rape and torture in my game. That's not, I don't find that relaxing or entertaining. So, you know, I don't, I don't run that for grownups or for kids. So, I, so personally, I find that my game does not change based on the age of the players. Um, And I would advise you to, yeah, change nothing or very, very little. And、uh, in terms of game mechanics, I mean, more than one person has kind of pointed out that a, a lighter or simpler system it works better for kids.、Um, and I have had a lot of success running、uh, Swords and Wizardry White Box for my kids. But if you don't want to run Swords and Wizardry White Box, If you want to run a heavier system, I would say go ahead and do it. And if your kids really, if if your kids really can't cope with the complexity, then choose a system that they can cope with, which is how I started running Hero Kids when my son was four, because he, I knew he couldn't cope with 5e mechanics, but he really wanted to play an RPG with us. So I sought out a system that was geared for people, for kids his age. Um, but it, You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hack the game that way. You know, I don't want to hack the game to make it a kid's game if it's not a kid's game. There are plenty of RPGs that are kids' games that you can use it if, if you need to. But yeah,、um, don't dumb it down. You know, don't, don't compromise. Don't make the game less than, than you want it to be. You know, Play it the same way and watch the kids rise to the occasion, and they'll probably surprise you. You know, I mean, like adults, not every kid is going to dig RPGs. Maybe they'll try it and decide it's not for them. You know,、um, it might not just be their thing. But if, if, they, if it is going to be their thing, then very early on, they will develop the same type of gamer skill that any other player, regardless of age, is capable of playing. So, yeah,、um, that's a long winded way to echo the, <laughs> the very succinct advice that Jay Webster um, um, gave in his interview on the Mega Dungeon podcast. But yeah, I would definitely advise you to、uh, check that podcast out.、Um, and particularly, that episode is very good. And I look, more, I look forward to more things to come from, uh, from that, uh, that podcast. It's one of my favorite subjects, Mega Dungeons. And、uh, I've probably rambled on long enough. 
So I will wrap it up and say that, uh, yeah, until next time, play well and let the dice fall where they may.